This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This week's episode contains spoilers surrounding major YA, TV, film, and book villains, including, but not limited to, Star Wars, Marvel and DC Comics, Buffy, Throne of Glass, and Akatar, with trigger warnings of violence and sexual assault. For more spoiler details, please see episode description. Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we're talking about arguably the most interesting characters in existence. We love them. We hate them. Sometimes we love hate them. Sometimes we want to hate fuck them. (laughs) Villains. Please. Sometimes. I I said I didn't like damage cuts. But this also includes female villains because bitches get stuff done. Which also has to be something to be said. I'm sorry. It makes you think, why does it have to specify female villains? Just like when people say, oh, there's gamers and there's girl gamers. Why does it have to be gender? Like villains are villains. But I guess we'll unpack that in this episode. Exactly right. So I want to start off this episode with just laying out a few definitions so that it's very clear about what we're talking about. And I'll keep this relatively short and simple. So a villain, of course, we all know this, is a character who opposes the hero. They are deliberate in what they're doing. So either they're just a bad person or they're a criminal and they're blamed for a particular evil or difficulty. And some examples of that which we will dive into would be Dolores Umbridge, Darth Vader, Bellatrix, Amarantha, Maeve, etc. But we will discuss examples later on. The next would be the anti-hero, which is something that I got to learn about because I wasn't exactly sure what it was. An anti-hero is a heroic character without conventional charms. They might do the right thing, but they mostly do it out of self-interest. A good example of this would be Wolverine, Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. Uh, Cass, Lurkin, Jude, Jack Sparrow, Deadpool, etc. Oh, Jack Sparrow. That's interesting. Right? It's not one that you immediately think of, but it is there. Yeah. Um, And then we have the lesser known, but just as important, anti-villain. An anti-villain, they're not complete monsters. They are particularly hard to hate despite all of their terrible deeds In the anti-villains' minds, they have justifiable, noble goals, and how they go about achieving those goals is what becomes a problem for the hero. So Draco, Lex Luthor, Magneto, etc. Just a quick point that I want to make about the anti-villain is they are the characters that readers want to see defeated, even though they have redeeming qualities. So you you want to see them defeated, but, I mean, you kind of don't it's 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 difficult so to kind of contrast that the anti-hero is a character that you root for even though they possess less than noble qualities anti-heroes are the opposite of anti-villains they are protagonists who lack the conventional attributes of traditional heroes quite simply the villain is a character type and the antagonist is a plot role and 
I'm thinking about last week's episode where we were saying that within TikTok or Bookstagram or just within regular conversation, there seems to be the use of toxic and damaged used synonymously with each other. And I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I guess that we'll continue to unpack that, that seems to be happening in regards to the word villain and antagonist, especially within a, a, a reading community or not even just reading, just media consumption in general. It just, they just seem to be used synonymously where when you break it down the way you did, because there's still things that I didn't even realize more about the anti-hero and the anti-villain because we are so focused on one of the two words of villain and antagonist. You don't think of the entire breakdown. It just seems that villain and antagonist are used to try to describe the same thing when clearly it's it's a spectrum and not just a this or that. Yeah, and villain would be an umbrella term and then you could, you know, break it down in all these different points and it's really interesting to see that the characters that fall under these different definitions that we've laid out you know, characters that you don't expect. Like, I never expected Wolverine. I mean, yes, he's gruff, but he's also lovable, but he also, you know, doesn't follow orders and he kind of does his own thing and he has his own motivations. And, but he is a hero. You know, I don't think anyone can argue that he's not, but he's not a hero in the same way that Captain America is a hero. In the traditional sense. But then you could also bring to the conversation vigilante can fall under there too at some point and i think specifically with oliver queen in the first season of arrow he was kind of about self-interest because he didn't want to be the person that he used to be but he still had to portray this person while helping other people under his own self-interest to be better than his i, I there, there's just i feel like with the anti-heroes there's a lot to unpack than just he's a lovable character because everybody liked a bad boy or everybody liked this person and not this there's just the examples that I'm thinking specifically of Wolverine, Deadpool. There's just a lot more than just, oh, he's a bad guy. Or maybe not he's a bad guy, but immediate thoughts are he's not the good guy. Because usually that's so very black and white. And when you talk about traditional villains, of course, if you Google it, which you know I know that we did for this episode, the top villains are men on all of those listicles. And it's really annoying, first of all. But secondly, let's just say it up front. Men as villains are treated differently than women. Absolutely. And it's it's just important to kind of underline that period. That is the point. Um, I think this is very obvious. And when we're recording this, it is a few days after Disney just released all of their wonderful new projects and Hayden Christensen is coming back as Darth Vader in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. So not only does one of the baddest baddie villains ever, but he gets more of a story. He gets more of a backstory. I mean, he already has a giant backstory. He already has his redemption arc. I mean, he's he's already dead. But now we- how many redemption arcs can one person get? And I I this could easily spiral. It just goes back to the conversation that we had the other week where people were like, oh, well, Tamlin needs a redemption. Why? 
how many redemption arcs can a person receive? Because I don't see, you know, if you want to flip the coin, I don't see anybody, not that what she did was right, but I don't see anybody saying, well, Amarantha should have a redemption arc. She was wronged. Her sister was wrong. She was hurt. Nobody's coming to her defense. Not that I am. She was a piece of shit. She raped Reese. She treated Pharaoh like crap. Everybody was her prisoner. But if you want to run with one theme for one person to have a redemption arc time and time and time and time again, why is this, why, why is nobody arguing that for some female villains? And that, that is absolutely a fantastic point. Female villains. So when I was re- researching this, uh, they all get lumped together. So when you're talking about female villains, there is not a lot of distinction between, oh, who's an anti-hero, who's an anti-villain. You really have to dig for that kind of stuff. But one thing that everyone did agree on is that Dolores Umbridge is a villain. It's black and white. She's a villain. She's bad. She's evil. She's scary. Why? Because we don't know why she's doing what she's doing. So compare this to Voldemort, who we all know, and who was hot in his youth. Let's just say Tom that. Riddle, what up? Tom Riddle, what up? <laughs> Tom Riddle is totally your type. Every time you say something, I'm like, wait, how did I not make this connection <laughs> for the last 16 years? Oh, wait, he, he is your type. Oh, yeah, he's your type too. <laughs> I, I have a type. Tom Riddle fits it. <laughs> but when, when we're talking about villains, we're talking about um, comparing like Umbridge and Voldemort. We have... Not a massive backstory, but a hefty backstory about how Tom Riddle became Voldemort and why he's doing what he's doing. It's messed up, but it's there. We have nothing about Dolores Umbridge. And I want to, I I don't want to argue, but I just want to bring up the point. And believe me, I hated umbridge with the rest of them and it's so sad for somebody who loves pink you i want to like her but she was in she was a woman she was terrifying and she was in a position of power so are we aside from how she treated the students is it that she was a woman in a position of power which made her terrifying we don't know why she's terrifying we just know that she is but why that's a good point I would also say that a man in that position would also be terrifying, but it would be acceptable. And that's exactly, I mean, I want to kind of dive into it a little bit later in regarding Taylor Swift, because I just went on a whole, again, Evermore came out this week. And meanwhile, I just listened to Folklore for the first time. And I, I went through a deep dive because of how she's portrayed in the media. She is painted as the villain. Maybe we won't just get to it later. Maybe we'll talk about it now. She is painted as the villain. And you, like you said, if it was a man in the role, he would be terrifying, but it would be acceptable, which is exactly what she says in her lyrics of the man, where she's like, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. It would be fine. But if I was a woman, you'd be saying the opposite. You would not be accepting of the things that I what that she's saying. And I thought it was really important because she had an interview with CBS and she goes, there's a different vocabulary for men and women. A man does something, it's strategic. And a woman does the same thing, it's calculating. A man is allowed to react and a woman is allowed to overreact. And I think that's important to say because even when she's talking about her, she, in the Miss Americana documentary, she's even from a, 
a media point of view or like an artist point of view. She goes, female artists have to reinvent themselves 20 times more than a male. Male artists can just keep longevity with their career without reinventing themselves. And if women don't, they're out of a job. They have to constantly be this shiny new object with some sort of backstory, but nobody wants to know the backstory. It's all about how they're being portrayed visually. That's a good point and something that I have never considered. Damn. Yeah, it was honestly, I have a very contentious relationship with myself regarding my opinions of Taylor Swift. I, you know, I I hate her. I love her. I want to hate her. I have this crazy amount of respect for her team, her management team, her branding team, her marketing, PR, like everything. I really do respect her. And I kind of felt guilty when she's saying that even just the different vocabulary, because I, as, as a woman, I feel guilty that I was like, oh, it does seem very calculating. It does seem very manipulative, but I've never said that about male artists or male in the industry. And I, and that was a moment that I had to be reflective of myself and my growth and wanting to do better as a woman to support other people in this industry. It's easy to vilify others in media when it's a woman. So it it becomes a whole why of it. Like, why do we feel so comfortable? And that is, that's just a bigger conversation to have and to have those uncomfortable discussions, even within yourself, you know, why the uncertainty? Tell me, you're talking about Taylor. Tell me about Taylor Swift and Kanye. (sighs) Here's just like an overview. Back in 2009, she had the VMEs. He went up on stage completely embarrassed her saying Beyonce had the best was the best album of all time. I agree. Yeah. We stand Beyonce. (laughs) I do not like he was not wrong. Laura loves Beyonce the way I love Lady Gaga. I, we have stand. We love it. The strong women, Queens, we will join and have joined the cults, the appropriate cults. That being said, even like from the 2009 segment, Kanye was supposed to have a tour with Gaga. I still did not agree with what Kanye did. I agreed with what he said. I did not agree with what he did. I refused to go purchase tickets for Lady Gaga's concert because she was supposed to go on tour with Kanye. And I refused to go. I was like, that is not how you treat people in the industry. You shouldn't treat people in the industry. Then you flash forward to whatever it was, 2016, 2017 where they've apparently had some bridge in their relationship. He's going to call her a bitch in one of her songs. And she plays, she's like, yeah, 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 that's cool. And then she goes and says, I want to remove myself from this narrative, whatever the words were, acting like she had no idea this was going to happen. And then Kim was like, oh, yeah, I have this whole recording of your conversation with my husband. And I'm Again, I'm guilty. I was part of the Taylor Swift is canceled. It looks it looks bad. You know, from an optic standpoint, it looks bad. But and and the media eviscerated her. I mean, completely vilified her. But when I feel like not until recently, and I can't even say this, you know, tables have turned. She's gotten back. And again, this goes to like optics and marketing. I went to the reputation tour 
absolutely loved that reputation came out after this whole Taylor Swift is canceled. She built on that. She had this moving stage, the square moving stage that completely was shade to Kanye. I don't care what anybody says from his square moving stage. And that was before I became, I don't want, like I said, like I have a very contentious relationship with myself regarding her, but I just respected the hell out of that shade. Like, yes, bitch, you do. You, you take ownership, flip the tables because nobody expects it. And the only people who do expect it are her fans. And there there's a risk, like nothing. I just have respect for somebody who can just grab life by the balls like that and just run with it. This is the tour with the snake, right? Where she had yes. like a snake yes. throne. And she's like, you know what? I'm gonna, you want to say I'm a snake? You're going to, I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to lean into this villain that you all are portraying me as. Like, you want me to be a I will be, I will not just be a snake. I will be the serpent queen. Like, I just, I, I thought it was so smart. And it, it was probably that tour that made me, a fan. I went, you know, you know, the whole background with that. But one of the nights that I went, I wasn't going to go with the original person I was going with, but I still had, I was just sitting on tickets and I went with Sabrina and that was like to go with a fan who had that passion. I I couldn't have, that was probably to share that experience for somebody. She couldn't afford it. The tickets were just going to sit there. I was like, let's go. I pulled a Laura and I was just like, you know what? Let me, <laughs> let me share, let me share with the people I care about. And it was, it changed the whole, how I saw everything. Cause I got to have fun. I got to appreciate it. I got to respect it. And that's probably where I started to be like, okay, I could, I could like her, but I'll only like her I'll closet like her right now. And now I'm definitely a bit more open about it, clearly. Um, (laughs) This isn't supposed to be a Taylor Swift podcast. But if we want to talk about villains in the media and where we are now, too, you could also lean into Miranda Priestly in The Devil Wears Prada. She's completely vilified. She's awful. She's this. She's demanding. She's assertive. Use those same words to describe a man in a powerful position. Nobody would say that they were the villain. And if you're going to talk about Miranda Priestly as a villain, you have to talk about the real villains in that movie. The friends, the quote unquote friends, friends, because those friends aren't friends. And same with the, with the boyfriend. And you know, the boyfriend, why I, I, I even, you know, maybe just thinking about it now, the boyfriend, maybe he wasn't a villain. He just wasn't her match. That is not the person that she needed. Yeah. But the friends were shit. Yeah, I know the friends were terrible. Your friends are the ones who should be acceptable throughout everything. I'm not like your romantic relationships, they come and go. You're you're still learning, but your friends are like essentially the people at your core who know you. And to to just be assholes. They want to accept the Mark Jacobs, but they want to hate on her for her work ethic. And it wasn't even a year. All she had to do is hustle for a year. That's all I did my first year when I left my one job. And then I went straight into entertainment. Nothing else mattered. Like it was just my career and everybody was acceptable for it because why wouldn't you be? We're supposed to be supporting each other. What shitty friends people have lives. I can't be up your ass 24 seven. Preach it. Preach it. I think this is a good transition from talking about media to talking about how just this one example that I'm going to give and how uh, she has been made into a villain but she's not actually and of course i'm talking about poison ivy okay i'm talking about poison ivy 
She is a main character in the new Harley Quinn cartoon that is on HBO Max. It's fantastic. Go watch it. Everyone's having so much fun. It's just amazing. It is adult with a capital A. So watch your asses there. Um, But Poison Ivy makes it very, very clear several times throughout the, the two seasons that I've seen that she is not a villain. She's an environmental activist. And the reason that she's doing what she's doing is because, you know, the governments and the corporations are destroying the planet and she has plant powers. So she's going to use the plant powers to try to make the world a better place. And if it takes violence to do that, then whatever, because nothing else has worked. And the, you know, the optics around that are, oh, she's a she's a supervillain. And she's doing all of this horrible thing. She's harming the city, whatever. But I feel like you can argue that because even if you go, I, I, you don't even have to go that far back. Um, this summer, you know, this year where people had to, you know, were being vocal with our government and we still have to about the changes that you don't like seeing the government or the lack thereof really where sometimes people do have to be vocal and of course people are going to have opinions like oh that's not how you go about doing things go, okay well how about you give me a suggestion because nothing else has been working to get your attention and then when you put the question back on somebody else oh i don't know but that's just not it who are you to decide how people begin to listen because everything else when you do it quote unquote peacefully it wasn't happening. So now that it's organized, now that it's structured, that's the issue. Come on. And Poison Ivy does say if people would work towards fixing the environment, if you know governments and world leaders came together to fix the environment, she wouldn't do what she's doing. But she's the one that has the ability to make some sort of change. So she's not going to sit around and and not do anything. And I, I think that's very important because when you look up, you know, top DC villains, she's she's on the list. And and I just Harley don't... Quinn, Poison Ivy, Catwoman, right? Yeah, three, well, three right there. Yeah, and well, and Harley Quinn. I mean, I, I love Margot Robbie. She's a goddess. Talk about being villainized in in the press, in the media. The hate that Birds of Prey got from fanboys was ridiculous. I just watched it. It's not bad. It's pretty good. Uh, you know, there's pacing issues, whatever. But, of course, she's fantastic. And the the rallying of, of the women, it, it's just wonderful to see the hair tie scene, the fights. They're great. People shat on that movie, men, a lot of men, for no reason. It's interesting. And you know what? And not that they're they're, they're villains. It's a whole different situation. But I think of the whole female segment in Endgame when they're the reason that, like, Peter was saved. I feel like, no, I, I don't care how much of a feminist any male is. They will never understand what it feels like to see something like that on screen. And and even if you want to apply it to Birds of Prey, men will never understand what it's like to see pivotal, predominantly female heavy casting in such huge roles in the media. They will never know that feeling whether you like it or not, there's always going obviously there's always going to be opinions about stuff. Here we are sharing ours on a podcast, but there's, 
it's such a deeper feeling, regardless if it's the hero, the antihero, the villain, there's something more. And I, I haven't seen Birds of Prey yet. So Harley Quinn, I think, is a really fantastic example and a good jumping off point for kind of the next section of the podcast, which is Harley Quinn in the cartoon and in the movies and more or less in the comics, but I'm not going to even pretend to be an expert on the comics. She is dumping the Joker and kind of striking out on her own. And that is the premise of the cartoon. And obviously that is what's happening in Birds of Prey. And she is labeled a villain, but we love her. We root for her. We want to see her dump this incredibly toxic in every single way, man. So is she really the villain or is she the anti what was what was the difference again? The anti-villain? <laughs> anti-hero? Anti-hero. Yeah, I would say that she's an she's an anti-hero. Some would say that she's an anti-villain, but we don't want to see Harley fail. No. We want to see her succeed. So if if we're using that as the baseline, then she would be an anti-hero. We 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 want to see her succeed in everything that she does. And she has a very strong relationship with Poison Ivy. And the two of them, you know, are really good friends. And also Harley is is really desperate for the validation of the Legion of Doom, which is all of the male supervillains. Mm, and she right. gets she gets in to the Legion of Doom, but then she realizes that they're all a bunch of assholes and she doesn't need them. Good for her. Right? Fucking boys club. Yeah. And she's, I'll start she's my own stronger. Club, bitches. Yeah. That's what she did. She has her own crew. She's got she's got Ivy. She's got a bunch of people like she's doing good. I think that's really important and is kind of where I want to go with male villains versus female villains, redemption arcs and pairings. I I was thinking of Catwoman. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I know we've discussed this about Catwoman is obviously stealing from the the rich, giving to giving back to who needs it. But how come she's a villain and Robin Hood is not? Robin Hood's doing the same thing. Disney made a whole fucking movie about him. Like Robin Hood Fox. <laughs> oh I think everyone had a crush on Robin Hood Fox, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, maybe that is a weird thing. It's I I it's not a weird thing to say because it makes sense like who he could get it yeah, it's, like, it's like wait wait robin hood fox but wait, I, robin hood fox but you know who else oh who's i can't think of who's the guy who played robin hood in the mel brooks robin hood men in tights gary ellis yes he's so hot we love him I, we love it oh yeah because obviously he's in the princess bride um ah uh, he was he that Robin, I, I guess just Robin Hood in general could get it, but <laughs> that's a good point. Another point that I want to make with Catwoman is that when I was doing a little bit of research in her, she was created solely as a love interest for Batman. Why are people consistently being created? I mean, women in general are used as things and objects, and that's how they're portrayed. But it always it always can only be for the sole interest of a man. Yeah. Yeah, and that was why she was created. She was a cat. She was, uh, I think. I think the the phrasing was unknowable uh, as a cat, just like women are unknowable to men. And um, you know, she's sleek and she's athletic and bendy. 
I, I think the word that was used. I guess the the, the feline characteristics, because what are you going to say? Dog woman? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that wouldn't, that wouldn't really work. I don't even want to go. That's so like That's an easy spiral. <laughs> so, yeah. So you have a really good point. Like, Catwoman is a jewel thief. You know, she does bad things. She steals, but... She consistently teams up with Batman and his like extended family, if you want to call them that, and they do good things. Um, so she is obviously not strictly a villain. I think there's a lot, a lot of women in kind of the DC universe that aren't one or the other. I would say Batgirl is a, a hero in you know whatever, but um, but with, I guess you can if you want to go with the definition like we were saying, like to to do out of self interest. It leans into the I'm helping you because this is how it because it benefits me, not because it's this altruistic thing. Right. Right. So let's move to uh, male female pairings of villains. Okay. so we have my favorite, which is Spike and Drusilla from Buffy. Oh, we've got some other ones. We've got Hazel and Cha-Cha from Umbrella Academy and of course, the most famous probably is Jamie and Cersei from Game of Thrones. Okay. So if we're looking at these villain pairings, the thing that will stand out if you look for it is this. They start off equally bad, or you could say evil. And then something happens, usually the love of a good woman, and the male villain has his redemption arc. Because of the love of a good woman. And the female in the pair becomes even worse as a villain. She like doubles down on her evil. This is very clear with Jamie and Cersei. She doubles down on her evil and does not get a redemption arc. She dies a villain where the counterpart not only gets the love of a good woman, but has a whole journey about how he's better as a person. I'm changed. Yes. It's changed. Do you think that that comes from, you know, you always hear just when you, you hear women wanting to change a guy and being the girl that changes. You want to fix them? Yeah. The fixers. Do you think that's part of where the portrayal might come from? I have no idea. I, I honestly have no idea. And I, and I think that kind of, you know, merits further research because I did not realize this until it was pointed out in one of the articles that I read. I was like, oh my God, why? Why is this happening? Why do the men, and, and then this just goes on to our next topic of why do the men get the redemption arcs and the women don't? And I think we could speak to so many examples, but I know that you were just watching Ragnarok, so you have a little bit of insight into Hela. Yes. And that was the other thing. And I mean, I, I might not be able to explain it as well as you will, but one of the questions that I had was how Odin gave her away or something. She was just becoming more powerful. It was just a how of it all, of how come, again, here is a woman who is powerful, who was driven, who was ambitious. You wanted to kind of continue with what the goal was. And all of a sudden that was feared. That doesn't make sense to me. You're not wrong. That was her purpose. She is literally the goddess of. Right. That is what she does. Yeah. And then she she was staying the course. 
And then I feel like Odin like lost his nerve and he, he was just over the constant war and struggle and then just locked her away. Not just that, but completely erased her from everything. Erased her from the mosaics and stuff in Asgard and... Thor and Loki didn't even know about her. I had her. no idea. She was the el- she was the firstborn. She was the eldest. Yeah. Completely ridiculous and she she is one of my favorite villains. She's fantastic. You know, part of that is probably Kate Blanchett just having so much fun. Queen. Oh my god, she's so good and just the helmet and the, the swagger and the outfit and just the the principles, you know, she's like screw you guys. I'm the heir. I'm the firstborn. I'm going to take over. I feel like everybody forgets she was worthy. There's nothing to say that she wasn't worthy because why wouldn't she be worthy? She did what she was supposed to do. There was nothing intrinsically bad about her. She developed this, I don't want to say ferocity, but frustration, resentment, resentment. She developed a resentment because wouldn't you if you were just kind of sequestered by yourself forever? That just happens. That's natural. You you can't just sing Kumbaya for however many hundreds, thousands of years that she was away. That never made her not worthy of the hammer. And that I don't think anybody realizes that or discusses that. Maybe I'm completely out of my realm to have that discussion because I'm not familiar with the Thor comics. That's a really good point. I think Ragnarok is, is criminally underrated. It is my favorite Marvel movie, but she does completely own it. And she was just doing what she was supposed to do and she is the villain in that movie that that's what it is which is really interesting because you've got loki in there and we as a society love him i was gonna say let's again because investor day was the other day you want to talk about villains he got his own fucking show and if you saw the trailer you already are diving into oh, he's a villain villain. (laughs) And maybe we're not using that word correctly either. This is still growing pains for us to understand the the anti-hero and the the anti-villain and the villain. But he has his own, at at the end of the day, he has his own show. We as a society love him. I don't see the appeal. Like visually, he's not my type. He's your type. (laughs) My type. He's my type. There he is again. (laughs) But here he has a whole storyline it's it's i don't want to say crazy but it's just another example you know now you have hayden christensen coming back for darth vader you have loki you have whatever else is going to be within those shows because we already have his backstory we know his backstory we know his backstory we we already know this we already know i would say that he's an anti-villain we already know that he is bad and that he does things for his own devices and then now we're getting more. And we're still rooting for him. Everything is based out of self-interest and you still want him to succeed. Even in Endgame, when he was when he was just like, I'm taking that Tesseract and I'm, I'm splitting out again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again. Because can't you? Isn't it an Infinity War where you could say his redemption arc? His redemption arc was him sacrificing himself to not give up the Tesseract. And then it was Thor who goes fine or however that dynamic played out. Either way, before the Tesseract, you know, later on with the time traveling and everything, Loki had his redemption arc of giving up his life. Sure. Oh, and that is right into the other super sexy villain, Kylo Ren. (laughs) You I will you take the reins on this one, lady. Kylo Ren. Who's also Laura's type. 
to be fair, Adam Driver is my type. That, Any, you know, six four, giant hands, dark hair. Built like a fridge. Built like a refrigerator. <laughs> Makes everything small. So let me preface this by saying that early on in the pandemic on my TikTok, I got into Kylo Talk and it was very um, explicit with what <laughs> was going on there. It's kind of died down a little bit because things, you know, come and go. But uh, Or have you just not been interacting with the, the Kylo Talk as much? <laughs> yeah, that, that was probably part of it, but I digress. Kylo Ren is sexy as hell. I'm going to put that out there. It is what it is. He is a damaged teenage emo boy, and that is my type. He gets a background. He gets a redemption arc. And he made such of an impact in just those three movies that he was in that people are desperate for more of him. Right. And they're de- they're desperate for more of him as Ben Solo, and they're desperate just for more Kylo stuff. It doesn't even matter what version you get. People just want more of. I could see, I mean, this isn't necessarily on the topic, but I saw a TikTok the other day where somebody was saying that they should have let Ray die to continue or to give Kylo a redemption arc to continue on, not necessarily as Kylo, but as Ben Solo. And it, as, as I saw it while we were prepping for this episode, and it made me think, and yet again, here is another case that people are gunning for another redemption arc for a male villain. Not to say that things can't be done with Kylo. I mean, you could have a whole prequel or like, while this was going on during these three movies that he was in, you can have a whole other behind the scenes while this is happening. He was doing this. He could, he could just literally live off this salary and just keep doing the movie. I mean, there's so many storylines. I mean, this is a little off topic, but I, w- I was talking to our editor, Sam, about this. And we were we were talking about how the prequels, the Star Wars prequels were so shat on when they came out by the older fanboy generation. Is that the, the Phantom Menace ones? Yeah, those are the Natalie Portman, okay. Aiden Christensen ones. So those were shat on so bad by the star wars fans and like the you know the older ones or whatever and i mean they're not great but the kids that saw them when they were like eight nine years old they've grown up now so that is the star wars that they grew up with they would have seen those ones first if anything before the ones from the 70s right so they're nostalgic for those and there's been a huge resurgence on tiktok of OB and and everything going on with that. Which actually makes a whole lot more sense putting that nostalgia together and the resurgence of the demographic that grew up with it. Why we have the storylines that are happening. Oh, that was fucking Disney. You are brilliant. Right? So because Gen Z is nostalgic for Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, uh, we're getting more of them, which, you know, is excellent and everything. I wonder if they'll CGI their faces to make them look younger, like they did for Samuel L. Jackson and Captain Marvel. They CGI'd his face. It was still him, but they made him less aged because it had to be portrayed in the early 90s and not the Nick Fury we have now. Well, Hayden will be in the helmet, so it won't matter for him. It won't matter for him, right? But, but yeah, Ewan's like old as fuck now, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they're gonna do that. I have no idea. Just th- think about that. We're getting, we're getting Loki show. We're getting Darth Vader is gonna be a huge part of it. And oh, you could even like we, we're also getting Hawkeye. And let's not forget, like, yeah, he has his re- redemption arc. But how come again? We can argue in Endgame when like his whole family was snapped away 
he went on a killing spree, but they don't want like they don't hold him accountable. But you know they don't consider him an assassin. But with Black Widow, she she's an assassin. She's killed all these people. Ba ba ba. But nobody shits on Hawkeye for doing it for a year, and she's so guilty about it that she sacrifices herself. That's I mean, come on now. Why does why does Scarlett Johansson? Why did Scarlett have to die? There's no there's like no reason. I feel like I don't know. I I don't again. I'm gonna say it's probably something that's. I, I'm not a Hawkeye fan. Maybe it's because I was such an Oliver Queen Arrow fan. <laughs> but I I like Black Widow. I think okay. Let's take Arrow out of it. Black Widow is a more compelling character than Hawkeye. Oh, absolutely. You could say that about any villain, anti-hero, anti-villain in general. But am I skewed because, and this is just like me asking questions to the void, am I saying that because I'm a female? Is it a female perspective? I don't think so. I feel like you can factually back it up and write it down on paper. Well, sure. I mean, here's a really good example. Superman is boring as hell. Don't tell that to the fanboys. He's the most boring superhero that I can think of. I mean, Captain America is really white bread, but he's not as boring as Superman. Love me some Captain America. But you can't say that he's not just some white bread morals, you know, got his code, sticks to it, good person. That's why I'm boring. (laughs) I've learned. I've had to grow from it. Aesthetically, though, like that's still kind of on time. So and then you you go the other way and say, well, oh, well, Batman, you know, but I see I will fight for Batman. And I say this and I and I will also say it with Oliver Queen, too. Yeah. People are like, oh, they're just billionaire playboys. Whatever you want to say, they don't have any powers. They don't. It is strictly mental. They don't bring anything to the table except their intellect and physical skill set. There is no additional specialty there. And you could say the same thing with Black Widow. She doesn't have any powers. She is highly skilled and trained in what she brings to the table. And you could say that about Batman, too. You could. And if we're going to go, you know, discussing people that have no powers, let's talk about someone who I think is overlooked when you're talking about villains and specifically female villains. But if you want to talk about someone that is just pure evil, Corella DeVille. I mean, I can't even argue against that. You're skinning puppies. Not even skinning puppies. You're skinning puppies. Yeah. But again, very bad. Doing very bad things. No backstory. We don't know why she's like this. We don't know what happened to her. Which will be interesting to see if that's even explained in the Cruella live action. Exactly. We don't know much about it except Emma Stone's portraying Cruella DeVille in the 80s. Right. I bring this up because I know that you wanted to talk about Maleficent. Yes. Specifically the live action Maleficent. Because I know in the first one, she's basically wronged by King Stefan. And that already bothers me because there is such a conversation, the way female villains are portrayed, that they become evil because of... because of the being at the hands of a man and being heartbroken and being destroyed. And that automatically will make you evil, which it kind of wraps into Moana when the the green goddess isn't the goddess that she is. She's, you know, they just know her as like this angry lava thing. Tefiti. 
Tafiti. I've only seen it once just because it was so I don't feel like crying like that again right now. So I just I know how I got with that movie. I don't want to do it again. Jess came to visit me in Germany and I told her she had to watch this movie and she did not know why. And I told her it would change her life and she cried through most of it. I cried through most of it and our editor walked in on me crying on their couch. Just and he just walked in. He walked out and went back for his run. <laughs> And it just and, you know, if you have seen Moana, you know, it's not like your typical end of the movie, end of the, you know, you don't cry till the end of the Disney movie. You cry right out the gate. Like 20 minutes in, you're already crying. It's not supposed to hit. And, you know, again, there was different lived experiences that were going on then. And then you process it. And then, the you know, you realize that it is yourself. You have to be true to yourself. And uh, I'm just so frustrated with how there is a consistent portrayal the only way women are upset or vilified is at the hands of a man literally the plot for that movie is someone stole her heart heart. and her into an angry like pmse fire monster breathing bitch and then a man helps it's kind of better a man helps a female give the heart back but i feel like moana helped her more than a man. Yeah, for real. Like, for, to be like, look, you don't have to be angry. Like, we can do this together. Right. Remember who you are as a person. You aren't this angry bitch. And I feel like, not to go off topic, but that happens a lot in, you know, if if you're in a tumultuous relationship, especially if you're gaslighting towards the end. And I can recognize that in myself. I, I was talking to somebody about it the other day. I go, at the end of one of my relationships, that was the worst version of myself. I don't even... I can look back... And I don't recognize that person, but I can recognize that I was just that hurt and looking for any type of emotional response. But that doesn't mean that's who I am at my core or who I was at my core. It was an innate emotional response to what I was going through at that time. And I feel like that's applicable with Moana. You aren't this person. You aren't this angry, PMSy, over emotional. Like, don't let it eat at you. And I think that's a constant theme that you see in character, in villains, not just characters, in villains like Maleficent. I am not familiar with her portrayal in the movies, although I love Angelina Jolie. She's gorgeous. I like the second one better. I mean, granted, I I, I kind of remember the first one, but I just know the second one much better because how many times I had to watch it. And even then, she's just kind of... Um, She's doing what she needs to do for her daughter. And she is a good example of, I, f- I felt like there was a redemption arc. One of two redemption arcs I've seen. And the other one, you know, the other one that immediately comes to mind is Regina in Once Upon a Time, where the evil queen has a redemption arc, but at what cost? And it is at the cost of Robin, of the person that she loves. Her true love. Her true love. Man, that's messed up. <laughs> why can't, uh, you know, like, why can't you have it all? That There's my other question. Why can't we have it all? Men have it all. Men get it all the time. Yep. That, that's not, it's not even remotely fair. It's not even, but also not only is it not only fair, it's not even questioned. If you think about the, the work environment, no matter your profession, it is typically man can 
have have the corner office, be the CEO, have a wife. Not not only can he have it, he's expected to have it. So I mean, that's its own conversation. If you want to go about like male insecurities and the pressures of being a man, blah blah blah. That's its. If we want to dive down that road, we can. However, not only can they have it, they're expected to have it, and it's okay. However, flip it. It's typically portrayed that women can't have it all. How are you going to balance it? Balance it. How are you going to multitask? Can you realistically take time? Everything's question. If you want a career, you can't have a family. If you want a family, you can't have a career. And it's also reflected in pay. Preach it. (laughs) Preach it. I want to bring up one more Disney female villain. Actually, two. I want to bring up two. One is Yzma. I've never seen that movie. Oh, my God. You're giving me a really good example the other day. Although I saw a really good TikTok. It was Yzma and whoever the big guy is. Kronk. Kronk. And they were like on a roller coaster. But whoever did the edit, they had Kronk as Cassian and Yzma as Nesta. And it was so fr- And Kronk is like, yeah. And Yzma's just not having I can't wait for Silver Flames. I've, I've convinced myself that all these memes and TikToks and everything, this is what's been happening. Like, this alternate universe is what's been happening while we've been waiting for Silver Flames. We can only hope. We can only it's like, hope. Like, like, all of that, every time we see something good, I'm like, canon. But that's actually happening as we speak. <laughs> so, Yzma... I really love Yzma, the Emperor's New Groove, is absolutely fantastic. But she is a really good example of being villainized for having ambition. Cusco, David Spade, is a shitty He's emperor. He's the llama, right? Yes, he gets turned into the llama. She actually turns him into a llama. Cool, he probably deserved it. But yeah, she was trying to kill him, but it was an accident because Kronk is dumb and he mixed up the poisons. But, I mean, it's just hilarious. See, Cassian. You would. All Yzma wants to do is rule the empire that's all she wants to do same stand a queen i mean she's not like super um you know aware of the peasants struggle and all of that but to be fair Cusco doesn't give a damn either he is awful in every single way and she she's the villain you know she's obviously defeated so she's the villain because she wants power well, that's the thing. She's the villain because the way that the movie is, you are rooting for David Spade as Cusco to go through his redemption arc because he he's he's funny. He's charismatic. But why do we want him to have a redemption arc? Why are we not having Yzma to have a, a redemption arc? Oh, that's that's the whole. I've issue. never seen the movie. So there's like these are actual questions. I'm like, wait, that doesn't make sense. How come if they're exactly the same? How come it's OK for us to root for him? But we don't. Why are we not rooting for Yzma this whole time? That's the question, because she's so good. She's so like she's just as funny as he is. She has more ambition. She's, you know, more committed to the empire. And Cusco, the, the whole thing is Cusco wants to build a summer water park house situation on top Zachary Levi yeah on top of uh um on top of uh John Goodman I'm pretty sure it's John Goodman on top of his village and just wipe out this whole village so that he can build a summer house and that's that's like the whole plot and then yeah but anyway Yzma is a really good example of being villainized for kind of no reason and I just want to throw that out there I mean, all good points. I like them. And I mean, obviously, we're having the conversation because here I am just like throwing questions out there. And you're like, no, that is that is the question. We, we, we're all just sitting here. That's the whole point of this episode. 
The other villain that I want to talk about is one that Jesse and I talked about when we were prepping for this episode. It is Ursula. Our editor, Sam, wanted to make sure that we talked about Ursula, too, because he made a good point about her. Oh, I like the point that he made the other day. Yeah, talk about that. So Ursula, you know, sea witch, has a tiny bit of a backstory. Tiny, tiny bit. Is Ursula evil? And uh, that's like the overarching theme. And you could say yes, and you could say no, and you can say maybe. Um, But here's the thing with Ursula. Ursula has Ariel sign a contract. And Ariel signs this contract, right? As a minor. A minor to human standards. Yes. And Ariel goes up and she does what she's supposed to do. And she does not accomplish the task by the allotted contract days. And she reverts back into a mermaid. She signed the contract. Makes sense. She signed the contract. It was there. Like, it's all it's all very much spelled out for her. Is Ursula a villain? Well, Ursula does turn into Vanessa to try to actively thwart Ariel's efforts to win the prince. And that's not great. Fun fact, did you know that Jodie Benson voices Vanessa also? Huh. I learned that through TikTok. Thank you, TikTok. Thank you, TikTok. So she does Ariel's voice and singing voice and Vanessa's singing voice. So when Vanessa's in the dressing room, have that little mermaid. Like, I love it. I love the sass. So, yeah, Ursula has has her sign the contract and then she doesn't fulfill the contract and Ariel gets turned back into a mermaid, you know, whatever. And then Ursula goes off and becomes very big (laughs) and, you know, swirls the seas with her trident and everything. So she's, you know, she's she's pretty evil, but is what she's doing. So she knows what happens when people don't fulfill their contracts. They turn into those little sea creatures and she collects them in her sea cave and she delights in having them there. She delights in other people's pain. Right. So she's a villain. It's not, it's not, it's not great. So our editor Sam was saying, well, she's like, um, you know, she's like a debt collector. She's like a loan shark. So are those people evil? And that that is is a really interesting point because yes, because they they know what they're doing is going to cause harm to the people that they're doing it to. Especially from a debt collector, you think obviously if you got to that point, it wasn't electively. Right. Nobody wants to be sought after for money. Right. Like no no one ever. But on the other flip side of it, you're taking out money or however you're taking out this contract. You're not fulfilling a contract. You understand that there are repercussions if your side of the contract is not filled. Right. It's like informed consent. Like, you you know what's going to happen if you don't fulfill it. So it's just it's just something very interesting. And the point was, if Ursula was a man, would it have been so compelling for one and would she have been so evil because men are usually the ones that are the loan sharks and the debt collectors you don't see women in that role a lot i immediately thought of hades from hercules there you go right like and we i love hades 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 is is beloved i love him i cannot wait i mean i I really hope 
Disney does it well with the live action. But he's one of my favorite Disney villains. And he's he's compelling. He's funny. He's charming. And he's doing the same exact thing. He's collecting on a debt. Boom. There you go. Point made. Holy shit. Yeah. And we love him. I mean, and people... I I really love Ursula. I think she has her fantastic like musical numbers and her you know her solo and absolutely she she's fantastic. But she is not Hades. Why do we hate her? Do we hate her because she's collecting on the debt, or do we hate her because she took it a step further and she's like, not only am I going to collect on your debt, I'm also gonna, just going to show you that I can take your man. If she just collected on the debt and said, look, too bad, so sad. Now you're a seaweed with me. That would we have wiped our hands of it. And that I think that just goes to the point that we've been making this whole episode is a woman took it too far in society's standards. Society's standards. Yeah. And now she is, oh, you could say like that's that's why she got so big, right? <laughs> like she's, I emotionally eat too. I'm sorry. Right. Like it, it's just, it's, <laughs> there, there, there's just a whole, there's a whole thing there just uh i don't know those are all the main points that i wanted to make how are you how are you on your points i i mean i feel like our we've kind of interweaved everything and i i love this discussion i love this dialogue i feel and including when i i just started you know throne of glass this week so there will be i know you're so excited I just I think there's going to be more to unpack, more to the bring to the table. Um, and this will this is obviously because of our podcast. It's not one thing or the other. It's exploring themes, exploring different fandoms. There's going to just be c- consistently more to unpack. Just, you know, the more that we're exposed to in general, more books are coming out. Television shows are coming out. Finally, we're able to see some things, whether it's streaming or what have you, that we'll be able to continue to dive into this conversation, if not in a whole, an additional whole other episode, but integrated in the conversation that we're having, not just with each other, but there's something to be said about, you know, other people bringing in their perspectives of saying like, oh, but what, you know, you two talking about this makes me think of this other example, you know, and I, I like the spiral that comes out of the conversation, because it is a reoccurring theme, as we've clearly said throughout this whole episode, whether it's in television, or movies, or books, or in every aspect, it's applicable in how you dissect it. It's not just black or white there's this whole gray spectrum that we're talking about and it just stimulates the conversation i just want to ask you two questions before we wrap up oh lord where would you put jude in in our definitions um uh I'm, i'm looking back at our definitions we're going with she's not a villain i'll I'll do process of uh, of elimination she's not a villain I would maybe say anti-villain. I'm thinking about, unlike their evil counterparts, she's not a monster. I don't hate her. She's somewhere between anti-hero and anti-villain. You have her under anti-hero, and she's definitely about self-serving. I think that's what makes me think of her more anti-hero than anti-villain. But she's a mix because even anti-villain, in the character's mind, their goals are justifiable. It's justifiable and noble, which is exactly what happens in the first book 
when she has to lock down Cardin. She needs to have that year and a day. I I just I really I the more I think about it, and I've only read through the series once, and I can't wait to reread it and have a whole discussion about it. She's more compelling the more I think about her. You know, I was already really excited. You've seen, you know, my reaction videos. So that'll be a fun thing to discuss and to unpack because there's a lot there. And I just want to make the point that we understand that there is a, another category, the morally gray category. And we will have an episode dedicated to the morally gray characters and everything that goes with that. I think the most famous morally gray character in the book the YA book talk community would be Kaz Brecker from Six of Crows. And we know that that is going to be a Netflix series. It's casted. They're filming it. So look for that episode to come out when we get kind of a firm schedule and like date situation on the premiere of Six of Crows because he's the ultimate one. And uh, we will dive into all of that. I think that about does it for us for this week. Join us next week when we will be talking about the gold standard of A Court of Mist and Fury, Akamath for the fandom. The best book. It is. Uh, It is Jess's favorite book. It is my favorite book. It is just the gold standard for for everything. And I can't stop smiling. That's going to be so exciting and emotionally draining. I don't know how I'm going to (laughs) prepare. It will be a good one. So make sure to tune in. We will be witnessing you know in that book you witness reese's full redemption arc our favorite uh, i don't even he's not a villain what is he i mean it really this episode kind of jumps into that like it kind of just sets sets up for that next episode of his redemption arc is he morally gray there's a lot of things to unfold we already know that he's damaged you can argue some can argue that he's toxic there's there's a lot to unpack with our favorite, my favorite, my favorite, Illyrian. <laughs> well, I guess my favorite High Lord, my second favorite, Illyrian. But we'll also be able to talk about the difference between just like the red flags. And I think we were talking about that earlier, which we'll dive deeper into eventually when we get to that episode as well of things that <laughs> hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So that's its own discussion. So have fun listening to our episode. Looking forward to our Akamath episode. Find us on Instagram, Akafe Podcast, A-C-O-F-A-E. We look forward to more discussions and just engaging with everyone. This has been super fun. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Thanks. Bye.